first through the 24th verse. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In the 20th year of Jeroboam king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Makkah his mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the book of Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was war between Asa and Bashar, king of Israel all their days. Bashar, king of Israel went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hizion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a covenant between me and you and th as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold, go, Break your covenant with Bashar, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his army against the cities of Israel and conquered Ijon, abel beth Makkah, and Senaroth, and all the lands of Naphtali. And when Bashar heard it, he stopped building Ramah, and he lived in Terzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah, none was exempt and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Bashar had been building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet and Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, welcome to you guys, the ones who made it out in this really deep and hard snow this morning. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I wanted to bring to your attention, the, uh, there was a misprint last week about our women's retreat. And that women's retreat is two weeks, not what next week it said in the bulletin. It's two weeks away. And so if you um, are a woman in the congregation, you should do what you can to be there and get as many as your friends and family to come as well. Um, that's in two weeks. I just want to make that correction real quick. Um, as we continue in the study, in our study in the book of Kings, Last week, we saw the downward spiral of the northern king, 
of a divided Israel, King Jeroboam, and how his idolatry made the nation suffer. This week, we take a look at the southern kingdom, otherwise known as Judah. And what we discover right off is that when it came to idolatry and bad kingly leadership, the southern kingdom was not doing much better than the northern. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, not only managed to split the kingdom into north and south with his ungracious attitude, he walked away from the spiritual life that made his father Solomon and his grandfather David great. The Bible tells us that he set up uh, high places of idol worship and allowed for the flourishing of idol worship services complete with male prostitutes where sexual and pornographic acts and images and statues were used to make the pagan gods happy. Happy enough to make the earth bloom and make things prosperous. It was a win-win religion with benefits kind of thing going on in Israel. But it proved costly for Judah. The economy was slipping. Their world power, right, uh, was waning. So much so, the Bible tells us that, that Rehoboam started selling off national treasures and, and even stole from and pawned things from God's house to support and pay for growing national security and border control issues as neighboring world powers, including their one-time brothers and sisters to the north, began to threaten them. Things were bad for the nation because things were not good between them and their God. And after King Rehoboam dies, the Bible tells us that his son Abijam came into power and, and did no better and acted a fool as well, but that his son, Abijam's son Asa, who eventually became king, was different. A different king than his father called by God to make a difference, much like you and me who claim to be the people of God. Claiming to be the people of God are, are called to today, those of us who are made different, to make a real difference in this world. As in this story of King Asa, and throughout the Bible's teaching, God has put his people and calls them, calls us, to be change agents against the fall, against sin, against injustice, against human degradation, against womb to the tomb devaluing, and for hope, and be for hope, and love, and peace, and joy, and dignity, and life. But as always, our sin, Satan, and a stubborn, broken world stand opposed. But God has made his people different once again to make a difference. And there are three ways I want us to draw that three ways he makes us different to make a difference I want us to draw out of this passage. He first does it by breaking the curse of sin over us. And secondly, by using our redemptive activism to bring change. And finally, by calling us his by faith. Breaking sin's curse, using our redemptive activism, and calling us his very own by faith. Some of y'all remember, maybe those who are my age and, and like watching certain movies. Some of y'all remember Doughboy's mom's words to him. In John Singleton's 1991 classic Boys in the Hood movie, when he was a little kid. Well, here's the abridged for family listening version, of course. And it went something like this. You ain't nothing, just like your daddy. You don't do nothing, and you ain't never going to amount to nothing. All you do around here is eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. Look at this place. Y'all must think I'm the maid. Where's my cigarettes? I did the whole script right there. And so he talks back and she says, boy, don't get smart with me because I'll knock you a little behind into the middle of next week. And where are you going anyway, you little fat fool? You ain't got no job. Yeah. This is what Doughboy heard from his mom. And I'm sad to say, 
His mama might have been wrong in how and why she did it, but was true in what she prophesied over and ironically helped to shape in her son, right? That like it or not, the Bible teaches that we are affected and infected by our earthly as well as spiritual fathers and mamas, right? And that goes from the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden to now every age and every household and every street and any last name that could come up in the world. The curse and curses of being born human and born to humans in a sinful world are inescapable. But we, right, the doughboys of the world who are easily rolled out, cut, and poured into the mold and baked by the world's mess, can we truly be different? The Bible teaches that King Asa was born into two generations of idolatrous, sinful uh, genetics, I call them. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says here, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micah, the daughter of Abishalom. Thank you, Mike, for saying it right. I, I just had to go real fast on that one. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him. And scripture says, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of his father, David. And speaking of sinful genetics and, and curses, uh, Asa is apparently, apparently, as you read the text here, the biological result, result of some backwards family sin, sexual, psychological stuff, right? Look at verse 9. It says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And verse 10 says, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micah, the daughter of Abishalom, right? But look carefully back at verses 1 and 2. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. Listen now. His mother's name was Micah, the daughter of Abishalom. Okay, confusing? Yeah, it appears that King Asa's mother is also his grandmother. He and his father apparently were incestuously brothers because his mother, the queen mother, slept with and married her own son. King Asa comes from a lineage filled with all kinds of messed up stuff. And the curse of that should have continued naturally and spiritually in him. And if not, make him just like them. Make him fall apart because of it. But look at the contrast here between verses 1 and 3 that we read when it says here about his father. In verse 3, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. But then look at verse 11 when it talks about Asa. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as, his, as David his father had done. And then it says here, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Micah's mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kedron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the scripture says, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. His father and grandfather were wholly not true, and Asa was wholly true. His mother controlled their lives, his father and grandfather's lives, and brought sexual brokenness. But Asa tore her and her perversions down instead of being overcome by them like his father and grandfather were. This dude is different. Why? Because the Lord broke the curse in his lineage in him so that he was different, made different, to make a difference before the Lord. And the Bible is teaching us that the Lord broke the curse of sin in his lineage by breaking the curse of sin in his heart. 
You see, the contrast here is that the fathers and his grandfather were not wholly true to God in their heart. And then in verse 14, it says that Asa was wholly true to God in his heart. Asa's heart was different before the Lord. He loved God. He was, as the Bible says, holy to the Lord because he was God's child now and not just his earthly father's son. And as we will see more later, that breaks and can powerfully alter the condemning effects of sin's curse. And that changes everything. What I want us to gain from this is that the Lord does and can make people like you and me born into and out of all kinds of disasters and mess, right? And with hearts and desires that should lean in a destructive direction. And he can take them and make them and us different, right? And, and he can take us. He, he truly does pull people out and up and pull stuff out and up out of people, right? And set them apart for his good works in all sorts of different ways and levels for different kinds of things he wants to accomplish through them. Some of us have a heritage and heart of abuse and absenteeism and neglect. And many of us, we have lineages that, that have leanings to racism, sexism, and sexual brokenness and fear and broken privilege and, and, and blind arrogance. While others, you, you kind of have a, a lineage of poverty cycles economically and mentally and even emotionally. Everybody in here has a lineage and a daddy and a heritage of brokenness that is all tied up, not only their mind, but spiritual life and heart. But God overcomes all of that for his glory and our good. So you need to know and hear that, that your history and family and sins that you are most susceptible to is and doesn't have to be the deciding and defining factor in your life. God breaks the curse of sin in our lives, in our lineage, by breaking the curse of sin in our hearts. If you are the Lord's, the Lord's got you. And the way the curse of sin seeks to define you, sin, Satan, and the world have to give way to God's difference making in and over your life. As a parent and as a child, I don't know about you, but I can take hope that the curse of sin does not have the final word. That the generation of spiritual age of uh, or spiritual age uh, before's mistakes do not have to have the final word on how God will bring change to our world today through you and me. And going forward in this hope, we can take hold of this next point that the Lord changes the world through the redemptive activism of his people. As, let me give you some subpoints. Subpoint A, as they work to cut off sinful institutions. And subpoint B, as they offer up public displays of affection to God. Look again at verse 11 and 12 with me. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. It says he put away the male cult prostitutes. Out of the land, he removed all the idols that his fathers have made, had made. He also removed Micah's mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. Simply, Asa, following what was in his heart, did what was pleasing to the Lord. By getting rid of what God would not like seeing or what God would not like experience. He, he led the nation in acts of public redemption and, and repentance by, by cutting off sinful institution, institution meaning manifestations and, and outward behaviors, right, that are the result of or would lead or cause others to sin by, by taking their hearts and minds and energy away from pleasing and serving the Lord. He is working and work to remove the effects and effectiveness of sin in the nation and the people of the nation, even bringing down the legacy and heritage of his fathers and the glory and authority of his own mother for the sake of the Lord's glory. 
King Asa went straight, repentant, protesting. Some would even describe it as rioting on them, tearing up and burning up national landmarks and places of business that were offensive to God. And getting rid of stuff like male prostitution, like his mother was caught up in, he was ending the cycle of abuse, of privilege, and class against others, and power-mongering, and things that were unjust and offensive to human dignity. Asa was challenging and changing social and cultural and institutional brokenness for the better. But the significant piece of his redemptive act were not the acts and and awesome changes of repentance he called people to. Or how bold he was, which was good. But where that passion to do so came from. See, King Asa's reform and redemptive activism was not about change for the sake of better or good. This is not a political action by him, according to how the scripture describes it. This is change that came from his true affection for God. Look back at verse 14. But the high places were not taken away. We'll get back to that. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And then it goes on to say, and he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father in his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. What do we see going on here? And it's kind of a little play on words with the treasures here, right? So the treasures, what Asa treasured in his heart, he gave glory to God, right? So Asa valued God like silver and gold. He He most treasured the Lord above all things. And that was seen publicly, right? What do we do? I mean, what is he doing and showing? A public display of affection for his Lord. Hear me now. An outward missional drive to please the Lord that came from, right? That exploded out on the world from a heart that was truly for and to the Lord. I want you to realize just how different and revolutionary believers are and what God is calling people, broken people like me and you, to possibly be and how God changes the world through them and how completely different from other organizations and groups the church can be. We believe, like we see here, that the world, our neighborhoods, our city, our relationships, struggles between races and sexes, the broken economy and financial disparity, and how we handle and conserve nature, nature will change and change for the better, hear this, by and through people who are engaged in public displays of affection. For God. By people, regular people like you and me, whose work and labors and mission are driven by the supernatural experience of God's holiness and pleasure and love in our souls and the curse breaking we've already talked about, and who in turn seek to do and institute and share what is pleasing to God in their world where the curse and pain of sin is found. I like the hymn, Joy to the World, at the end. You ever heard this thing? It says, no more will sin and sorrow grow. Nor thorns, the effects of sin, right, infect the ground. That means in everything we do, in our work, in whatever we're a part of, in anything human beings are, are called to do in the world, it says, nor, nor thorns infest the ground. Heal, talking about Christ, come and make the blessings flow Far as the curse was found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse was found. And for King Asa, as it is and should be for you, God's people, our public displays of affection, let's call it worshiping God in all things, right? That will bring change and go wherever the curse is found is joy and good to the world because of our joy with the Lord who changes the world. As a matter of fact, in this passage, 
in verse 15 and doing all of this cultural and religious reform that Ace eventually, that the Bible tells us that Ace eventually brings the gold and sacred gifts back into the house of God and the king's house. And it meant this, that the country was gaining and making proper human dignified progress as a people and achieving financial and diplomatic stability as a nation. He balanced the national debt and his personal debt as well. Who knew? Love for God, the true God of the Bible, is the best thing that could ever happen to anyone, any place, in any situation in this world. And let me say this so we're careful. Because sometimes churches can go this way. I want us to bring it to our everyday lives. Because I don't want you just to turn on the politics on TV and say, this is what Pastor Brown was talking about, right? We need to march on Washington. Maybe. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But I want you to recognize that King Asa's, you know, uh, redemptive activism were exercised in the area of public policy and state religious activities. Why? Because that is where God put him and had him as king. And he could bring influence of a heart wholly committed to God where he was. Not all of you are called to political activism. Most of us in here are not politicians. Most of you are pretty bad at it. Right? Sometimes I look at Facebook, you say this, and then you come back and say something different. I wouldn't vote for you. Yet, for some reason, believers think that's the only place God calls us to to truly make holistic difference. Yes, it's important. Oh, my gosh, it's important because it runs the whole country. Yeah, we should be worried about, about life from the womb all the way to the tomb, right? We should be a part of making sure there's protections and care and all that kind of stuff for people and vote and blah, blah, blah. And some of you, very few of you, run for office to make it happen. But we aren't all called to be king. But we all are called to be used by God somewhere. To let the public display of affection you have for God come out in action in your world, in our world, and how we love others and treat others and protect and uphold and give worth in the places and to the people God has called you and me to be. It might be where you work and where you play and in organizations that you're a part of or political activities, like I mentioned, or our schools or sports teams and homes and on and on and on. I don't know everything y'all do, but everything you do should include a, and be done out of a public affection for who God is. I mean, we've been working overtime. Lately, as a pastoral team, well, I mean, God's Spirit's been working on us, but over time, to find better ways to mobilize you to church and its people to exercise our love for God outside of our song set. Because the world is redeemed. As God's people show PDA everywhere, public displays of affection for the Lord. Not for the movement, not for the party, not for the economy, not for your sports team, not for your city because you think it's better than other cities and you want to be like New York City. No, but for the Lord, that is very different. But as revolutionary and repentant as the Bible says, and wholly true to the Lord Asa was, and was used to bring change. King Asa was not perfect in his holy reforms. Look back at verse 11 again. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. And he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Micaiah's mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah, 
And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kedron. Now here's the piece. But the high places were not taken away. <laughs> it says, though nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord, the Lord all his days. Do you see it? Even though no doubt the love of God was in his heart, he failed to go all the way on it. Oh, I know this is hard because we want a hero, right? We want to find a perfect person so we can, oh, Pastor Ralph, give us the answer for making change. Great, we did it. Yay, no. He failed. He didn't, he didn't get 100 on the test. He forgot to sign his name on the SAT. He messed up. He forgot to do the verbal section or something like that. He left the high places of idolatry. He had enough guts and faith and passion for God to stand into the male prostitution and even the queen mother. We could write a book about him and do a miniseries, but not enough to take down the high places where idol and bootleg worship was going on. And then after bringing the golden treasures back to God's house, oh, we talked about that. That was awesome. I'm not going to read all the verses between 16 and 23. Mike already did that. Thank you, Mike. But let me tell you what he did. He started to have some wars around him, and he took those same treasures that he brought. And they probably had a big ceremony too, a nice church service. Hey, we're bringing them gold back to the Lord. Praise be to God. We are prosperous again because God has blessed us. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Grabbing the air, all kind of stuff. <laughs> and the Bible says he took that same gold. When wartime came, and he took it and sold it to another king to make a covenant so that he can win a war that he should have trusted God well enough to not have to steal from God to win. Asa, the one who was truly, who was wholly true, the Bible says, to God in his heart, and did what was pleasing in the sight of God, took what belonged to God and pawned it to pay for a war. Now, it's so different than Solomon. Solomon had God's confidence so much. The Bible says God was so at work. He didn't have to sell anything. As a matter of fact, the scripture's kind of interesting. It almost sounded like the other kings gave Solomon gold to help him. Hey, Solomon, here's some gold. Can we help protect your kingdom, right? Now you got him giving to others to get the same protection. And then the most sobering part of this whole Asa story for many of us, especially those of us who, who, who like to be active, he does all these great things for God in the world. And the Bible says in verse 23 that Asa ended up having diseased feet and dying. I mean, doggone, man. Could you imagine the book written on King Asa? The Bible says all the things he did and all the wars he won in there. And at the end of the book, he had diseased feet and he died. Man, just, it's just corny. I mean, it, it could have been, it would have been awesome. He was at fighting out for war for the people of God. And, and you know, this big warrior stabbed him and he, he yelled out, for the glory of God, with the sword in his heart, and he died. Yeah! Braveheart-like, you know what I'm saying? Screaming out or something. Dude died from diseased feet. Remember, disease will take you out back then, right? A little athlete feet, right? They took him out. Dude was not, okay, and it sounded back then like it does today. Dude was so good for God, but he was not good enough to be healed by God and not good enough to not have the effects of sin take him out. Or maybe he suffered from self-neglect, not taking care and cutting his toenails or washing and lotioning his ashy feet. And them things cracked and got fungal on him. Right? I mean, you can read so much into it, but the goal is to think it didn't go right. Maybe he was too busy worrying about the kingdom to lotion his feet and wash them. I don't know. Maybe he liked the shoes he had so much he never changed them. I don't know. But bottom line, mortality due to sin found him. 
Mortality due to being the human descendant of Adam, human brokenness still took him out and down physically. He was not good enough, as I like to say, to Enoch out of here. His feet went bad. He couldn't walk, whatever, and then he eventually died. Other night in the gospel love class on Wednesday night on a midweek time, one of you talked about being sucked dry by people who are needy of your care and justice and leading them to get God's justice and mercy. And man, justice and mercy. And man, when people get like that, we want to run to the hills. I don't care how much uh, uh, gospel activism and all we talked about today. You know, when people get sticky, I want to go to the high places. Sometimes away from the public displays of redemptive activism, infection for God, because people are attracted by that and they get sick men. Sometimes I just get real selfish like some of you. We just want to self-medicate and lick our wounds and give up and be angry as the devil with the world. And at times, some of us just get physically worn down and we are limited by broken bodies. And sometimes our, even our spiritual feet get diseased and we can't and don't want to step out that far in faith. And simply we don't trust God enough no matter how holy, true our hearts belong to God. So how does a holy and perfect God put up? with us and still use and call us and give us confidence to be used by him as different to make a difference. How? Brings us to our final point. The Lord redeems and makes a difference in this world using us by faith. Subpoint eight, faith to be a son. And subpoint B, faith in his son. We make a difference by having faith to be a son and faith in his son. Look back at the beginning of this chapter, beginning at verse 1. I'm read through five. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Oh, man, I got to read these names again. Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Machah, the daughter. This is the word right here. Abishalom, Shalom, Abishalom, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was wholly true to the Lord, was not, sorry, that's big, wholly true to the Lord as God as the heart of, his, of David, his father. Nevertheless, Scripture says, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. Hear this now setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah Hittite. Remember, he, he wanted Uriah's wife, saw her bathing, took her, did what he wanted with her, then realized she, her husband to find out so he had the husband killed so he could have the wife. Yes, yeah, Solomon's mom, yeah, that story. He just did a little thing. Just kind of let you know you're still looking for a savior, right? Okay. <laughs> and then, again, in verse 13, Asa said he also, it says, Asa also removed Micaiah's mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Ace was true, wholly true to the Lord all his days. When he mentions the lamp in verse 4, lamp means God's holy presence and favor among his people. It means like a light on in a house, God is home and promises to be at home with his people regardless of even if they leave the house or they tear the house down. God's light is always going to be on them. That was just a promise he made to Judah. He didn't make the same promise to the northern kingdom, but he promises this for the southern kingdom. I don't know whether you see it, but good or bad, the Bible is saying God keeps his promises to stick with Judah, with the southern kingdom, to redeem and make his people different, to give them the ability to not just be servants, hear this, servants who can be fired or unworthy or employees or slaves, but the lamp means he's called them to be sons and daughters. Look at what it says in verse 4 again. We're going to work through this just a little bit. 
Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Israel, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Do you see how this thing works? He keeps his promise to those who are his children, whom he has chosen to live with and make a household and home with. It's almost like you got these bunch of kids just running around, ain't got no daddy, ain't got nothing going on. God says, I'm with these people. I turn on a lamp. I'm not going to leave them. Kids still act up. Daddy is God is still their daddy, and they are still his children. See, here's the thing. Asa can be described as having a heart still wholly true to God, even when he fell, fell short in his public displays of affection, because Asa was never and never thought of himself as a servant or slave, but exactly what he was, a son to God. You see, that's what it means to be true, have a heart wholly true to the Lord, which meant his heart was always true, even when sometimes it was divided, because being a son meant that God's affection for him never changed, and nothing would ever change his standing as a son, which in turn makes everything different. Asa wasn't accepted as being better than his father and grandfather because he did so much better, y'all. He just, unlike them, was chosen by God to believe and embrace that he was a son of God. And God, as the lamp would never leave, was his father. He believed that was true above all else. True heart. I've let y'all know I've been watching the Netflix series, The Crown. That thing good. Okay, I told you I like watching them shows where a lot of black people are in it, so I don't feel bad. Sometimes, I, okay, anyway. Downton Abbey, The Crown, love it. All races got problems. I love it. Boys in the Hood, The Crown, everybody got something. Empire, The Crown. Common thread, sin. I mean, it's just great. Man, it makes leading the church and racial reconciliation so much easier. I'm so glad they tell the inside story. I don't care how they talk. Hello there. It's still evil and sinful. They still got all kind of mixed up mess. But it's about Queen Elizabeth. Second. Part of it talks about the relationship between her sister Margaret and her and how strained it is. As Elizabeth takes on the responsibility and hard work of being the queen, while Margaret has to take care and live up to the standard of simply being a sister of the queen without actually being the queen. And they have this argument, and they're struggling over how and who was loved more by their father, the king, before them. And it came up that their dad would call them, because they were close in age, with Elizabeth being a little older, he would call them his pride and joy. Elizabeth was his pride, his outward activist and lawkeeper. But Margaret was his joy, his kept close, affectionate kid. Elizabeth was duty-bound and successful, and Margaret was free and whimsically broken. Right? Her stuff all out there, y'all. All right, she in love with somebody she ain't supposed to be, but it's real love, you know. But both had a claim to their father's love and thus confidence to be and live in royal glory because of it, because of it, however and whoever they were. Because of God's promise to David in this passage, and now to all of us, because of Jesus, his people called to be used for changing the world. Don't you know you are fully sons and daughters who, of God regardless of where you fall short? You are all God's pride and joy. 
The Asa, verse 11, who did right, and the Asa, verse 14, whose affection was there, you, his people, you, his church, are God's pride and joy. And you show pride and joy for him in this world because God's love for his children will never fail or fall short. To be and believe you are a child of God before God and nothing less and nothing more regardless of your performance is to be and have a holy true heart before God. Knowing and believing and trusting that the lamp of God's love as his child continues to burn bright and strong within you and me even when things are dim and we are weak in this world. Do you believe and know and live like your sons and daughters? To do so is to live and light the world ablaze in world-changing public affection for him and thus for the good of others. We are sons and daughters who show that public affection for God and have confidence that it is true. Hear this now. Because of the public affection of God for us. One more time, look at verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him. And think, you know, you think about the son mentioned. There's, there, there are, you know, Solomon, Asa, people like you and me, sons in the lineage. But those people will forget the love of God. Those sons will be blind to the lamp of God for us. Our affections will slip and we will stop being true in our hearts because we're earthly, merely, merely earthly kings like David and then Asa. We always fall short. So we are made different to make a difference, not only because we are sons and daughters, but because of God's son. See, this passage is pointing forward to, to, to God's son, right? Past Solomon who shined with the greatest glory. It ultimately and finally points to King Jesus, God's son, our Lord, and what he did and does for us. See, 2,000 years ago, God showed us and the world the most obnoxiously loving, shamefully grace-filled, as one contemporary Christian song says, and I hate it and cringe when I hear it that heaven met earth in Jesus in a sloppy, wet kiss. Gosh, I can't stand that, but that thing true. But that said, do you know what's more offensive and shocking than PDAs by teenagers in long lines at amusement parks? And I'd be staring to make them stop, too. You know? got enough gray in my hair so I don't look perverted. Like, why is he looking at us? I look like the dad. Dog, there's somebody's dad looking at us. <laughs> I might even say, y'all need to stop that. But what's more shocking than that? A naked, beaten up, and disgraced, diseased by our sin, Lord, hanging on the cross and bleeding out of God's love and desire to have and live forever like a lamp that won't go out with cursed, sinful, broken, diseased people like you and me. Jesus, God come in the flesh, public display of affection for us, proves and assures us that we, his people, are God's pride and joy. He came and died to take away our sins so that we can stand in the pride of his righteousness and holiness, freed from the curse of sin and called to good works, but oh, also that we can be able to live in the grace and freedom of knowing that even when we fail and fall short, we are his joy. Nothing else in all creation can do that. The gospel is different. It breaks the curse of sin. It changes through our redemption, redemptive activism. And it truly redeems us in our world by faith. I leave you with this. First John 2 says this. And now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
see what kind of love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The motivation to make a difference is God makes you different with the way he loves you. In the gospel, we are made different to make a difference. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the whole city of Charlotte can be changed by people who believe and know and live like they're God's pride and joy. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that when we look at him over and over and over again, we can't forget that the lamp of God won't leave because of his son. Because of your promises he secured for us. Lord, we are involved in all kinds of stuff. On our jobs. Some of us are raising our children. Some of us are trying to schedule our families. Trying to help them be healthy and whole. Lord, we're all over the place. And all kinds of activism, whether the world would define it as that or not. Lord, thank you that it's by grace that we're yours. Let that be the motivating factor for your people today. Because it'll be the only thing that changes the world for good and your glory. As we come to the confession of our sins, Lord. Holy Spirit, work in us. Free us to repent. Knowing that our standing in Christ is secure. And simply out of love for you, we can confess our sins. And then, Lord, as we come to this supper, reminded that we're invited. Help us to be wholly true in our hearts. As we confess our sins and receive the Lord's Supper and Having heard the word of God, Lord, let it ring true that, yes, we are sinners, but Christ is the Savior of sinners and makes sinners children of God. Help us to believe that, Lord, as we move forward. Lord, help us to own your redemption in Christ as your children more than the curse of sin through Adam. Thank you for your goodness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.